Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Christmas at Grace. I'm going to read a brief passage. Yeah, it's kind of cool to be together, isn't it? Yeah. I didn't know if anybody would show up or not, so I'm kind of pumped right now. It's great to see all of you. Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to read a few verses here. Now, last week, we talked about how God guided the wise men on their journey. Today, we want to look again at a piece of their story and see what new insight we can get. I'm reading now from Matthew 2, starting in verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. You know, Christmas is definitely a time for giving gifts. I read an article just this week. The author was Giovanna Kentick was her name. And she talked about some trends, some statistics this Christmas season. Let me share a few of them with you. For instance, ladies, all the women out there, uh, I wonder how much time you spend shopping for Christmas gifts. According to Giovanna, the average nationally this season is about 20 hours shopping. Now, some of you hear that and go, wow, I spend way more than that. And some of you guys are hearing that and going, what just happened? What just happened? I'm about to go shop after this service today. That's when I'm going to start my shopping, all right? Another one that I found interesting is that the average cost spent just on Christmas gifts this season $886 on average. Now, again, some of you are going, wow, we spend way more than that. And some of you are going, that would break, break our budget really, really fast. Here's one that I found kind of interesting. According to this article, one out of every 10 gifts is actually taken back and returned to the store. Isn't that interesting? So here's a, just a ton of facts about giving gifts at Christmas in the U.S. I think the gifts we appreciate most are the ones where we sense people put some thought into it, and especially we appreciate a gift if there's been some sacrifice involved. You know, gifts definitely say something about the giver, but they also say something about the gift. They say something about the giver. For instance, men, all you husbands out there, if your wife is looking for a gift this Christmas that is going to be really romantic and going to demonstrate your deep love and romantic appreciation for her, and you get her a vacuum cleaner, I mean, that says something about you. I don't even have time to go there and say what it says about you, but it speaks loudly. Gifts say something about the giver, but they also say something about the one receiving the gift. For instance, just yesterday in the mail, I received a package, didn't have a clue what it was, opened it up, and it was from a friend of mine. Just a couple weeks ago, we'd had a conversation. 
And in the conversation, he, we discovered that we were both coffee lovers and we both love French press coffee. So guess what? He sent me a French press coffee maker, some home roasted coffee beans that he had, he has a roaster in his basement. So he had roasted these and a nice mug. And so just this morning, I had two huge cups of French roast coffee, and man, I am buzzing right now, I tell you. I am buzzing, excited about these services. My point is, gifts say something about the one receiving the gift, and that gift says, this guy loves coffee. That's what that gift was about. I also got a gift a few days ago that I really appreciated. It was called Cotton Field Chapel, okay? And it was a piece of art on canvas, and it showed this chapel, and it was a reminder to me of how I grew up, that the fact that I grew up on a cotton farm. So that gift says something very personal and very specific about me. Gifts have a way of doing that. But never, ever did a gift say as much about the one receiving it as the gifts the wise men brought to Jesus. Even though he was just a child at that time, these gifts were pregnant with meaning. And so today, very briefly on this Christmas Eve, I want to explore the meaning of each of those gifts, what they signified, but even more important, I want us to make the connection to our own lives today. Because the Bible wasn't written to fill our heads with information. God gave us his word to literally change our lives. So let's talk about them. The first is the gift of gold. Now, historically and universally, it is recognized gold is a gift for kings. In fact, isn't that what they actually called him when they talked about who they were looking for? I'm reading now from Matthew 2 again, verse 1. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Gold is a gift for a king. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, when the queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon you remember what she brought? She brought all of this gold as a gift for Solomon. It's an appropriate gift for one who has authority, one who is a king. Seneca, the ancient historian, tells us that you could not even approach a king in his day unless you brought a gift of gold. Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon, when they discovered Philip's tomb, guess what it was laden with? You guessed it. It was just overflowing with gold. Why? Because he was a king himself, and he was the father of a king. Gold is a gift for a king. But a king is obviously one with authority. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, have I submitted myself to the authority of King Jesus. 
You see, if you're window shopping Christianity right now, I'm glad you are, but something you need to know is that Christians believe that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's not your run-of-the-mill king. He's not a king with temporary authority or limited authority. He is Lord. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And for us personally, there needs to be a moment in our lives when we have dealt with the question of his lordship. Have we bowed our knees and bowed our hearts and yielded our lives to the king? In fact, scripture says something that thrills many Christians, but it also really, really probably annoys other people who don't agree with it. Here's what it says. Jesus is the kind of king that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you either bow now because you want to or you bow later under different circumstances. Isaiah the prophet told about this one who was coming who would have authority. Isaiah 9 says, for us, for to us a uh, child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And catch this next line, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's a very interesting line. Hitler boasted that the Third Reich that he was going to build would last a thousand years. Boy, that was a vain boast. But this says that the government of Jesus is going to last forever. Now, I don't want anyone to misunderstand. When it talks about his government, it's not talking about some geopolitical entity, some country or territory on this earth. It's talking about the rule and the reign of Jesus in the heart of everyone who calls him Lord. That's the kingdom of God. And that kingdom will indeed last forever. It's a kingdom where there's no discrimination. It's a kingdom where there's no class system. It's a kingdom where the ground is level. No matter what your pedigree or background, God shows no favoritism. We all come into the kingdom by grace through faith. I wonder, I wonder, are you a part of his kingdom? Have you bowed the knee to King Jesus? You see, here's how it works. By God's grace, we humble ourselves before the King of Kings, and we essentially say, I surrender my life to you. All that I am, all that I'm not, everything I hope to be, I yield it all. I give it up all to you and your lordship and guidance in my life. And if you haven't done that, there is no better time for you to give your life, to surrender your all to Jesus Christ than on Christmas Eve. Gifts can tell us so much about the one receiving them. And this gift of gold tells us that Jesus was born to be the king. But then secondly, these wise men brought the gift of 
incense. Now, I'm going to call it frankincense, since that's the translation that many translations of the Bible uh, actually use to render that word. This was a substance, very precious, taken from the trunks of trees. And it was reported to have amazing healing properties, and it still does today. Many people use frankincense today as a sort of cure-all for all kinds of ailments. But it's interesting. The symbolism of this frankincense is very powerful. In the Old Testament, God told Moses, look, when a priest is anointed, you are to use frankincense when you do that. And it's interesting that the wise men brought frankincense to a child. God is saying, this child is born to be a priest. He's the mediator, the one who brings us to God. And by the way, that's exactly what the writers of Scripture affirm of him. The Apostle Paul comes along later and says in 1 Timothy for there is one God and one mediator between God and people. Who is it? It's the man Christ Jesus. And others didn't just claim this of him. Jesus himself made this kind of claim. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's his mediatorial role. That's precisely what a priest does. And this frankincense that the wise men brought signifies that Jesus is the ultimate high priest. And I want to tell you, friends, that's good news for you this Christmas. Because if you're hurting, here's the good news. He understands. He knows what it's like to be bruised, to be beaten, to be downcast. He knows what it's like to weep. He knows what it's like to lose the things you cherish most in this world. He is the great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, and that's why we can come to him with confidence, because he truly understands. He's the great king, he's the great priest, but third, these wise men brought something called myrrh. Now, here's the weird thing about that. The scholars will tell you that myrrh was this sort of ointment that was used in the embalming of dead people. Now, come on. Isn't that a rather grotesque? Isn't that an outlandish gift to give to a baby? It is, unless the destiny of that baby is unique. The fact that they brought him myrrh suggests that much of the meaning, much of the meaning of Jesus' life was actually going to be in his death. And that's one of the most precious beliefs that we have as followers of Jesus. We believe that his death was not just any death, it was an atoning death. There's a sense in which, in God's plan, Jesus took the place of us. It is totally appropriate, totally accurate to say, he died for me. He died for you. So, as we turn a big corner here, what does all of this mean for us today? 
Well, here's what I would suggest to you. This isn't just some vague history lesson. What all of these gifts signify is good news. It means that Jesus can change your life today. And boy, don't we need a change. I mean, Christmas is a time of loneliness and despair for many people. Far from being a time of joy and peace, I mean, it's a season filled with turmoil. And people all around us are in despair. I mean, there's COVID fatigue going on. There's anxiety about the new year. People are wondering where we're headed, what's happening, what's going on with our society. People are groping for meaning any way they can get it. The other day, a cartoonist left a suicide note behind, and he said, I'm tired of trying to think up another gimmick just to get me through the day. Jesus comes into that kind of despair in a world that feels hopeless. He says, I can give your life meaning. I can save you. I can change your life. I wonder about you. Do you need a new direction? Has God been stirring in your life over the past days, weeks, months? A desire? You can't even explain it. You don't even know what it is. In fact, you're wondering, what's going on in me? But God's been stirring a desire in you for meaning. You're tired of living a life of quiet desperation. You're tired of getting up every day like a hamster on a wheel and wondering where it's all going. Does this Christmas time find you physically exhausted, emotionally empty, spiritually flat? Please know this, friend. The wonder of Christmas is that God can invade our lives in the most devastating of moments. And there he can demonstrate his divine strength. It was just two weeks ago today, actually. Western Kentucky, December the 10th. There were some deadly tornadoes that swept through into the tiny Kentucky town of Bremen, where 12 people were actually killed, one of these twisters ripped the roof off of Jordan Bayes' home. And the next morning, when Jordan and his sister Whitney were surveying the damage in the house, all the devastation and the wreck, you can imagine the emotion when your home has been destroyed. And although everything was wrecked and broken, Jordan Bay sat down at his piano and expressed his thanks to God. His sister, Whitney Brown, was in another room. She said, I was standing in his bedroom packing anything that I felt might be, we might be able to salvage. And I heard, she said, I heard the most beautiful sound. Music, music. Everything around him was broken, she said. The piano had water damage. Some of the keys were missing. And he didn't know I was filming him. But she said he used his gift to glorify his God the best way he knew how. And this video just went viral. 
I wonder if we could watch this brief 48-second video together. Let's watch it together right now. Jordan was playing that old Gaither song, There's Something About That Name. And one of the lines in it says, Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. And there really is, folks. He's the king, he's the priest. He's the one who came to die. Jordan was just doing what real Christians can do. Even in the midst of life's worst devastation, he was just expressing his thanks and the fact that his hope is not in anything in this world, but it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps everything around you seems wrecked and broken this season. I just want to remind you that God specializes in brokenness. And in the midst of the bleakness and the hopelessness of your situation, it's right there that he can do some of his most amazing work. So here's the deal. The real gift of Christmas is not the gold. It's not the frankincense. It's not the myrrh. The real gift is Jesus. And if you miss that gift, you've really missed what it's all about. Can we bow our heads together, please? I'm going to ask you in this moment, before we transition into the final moments of our time together, I'm going to ask you, if God is working in your heart, if God has been drawing you Would you like to just say yes to Jesus Christ right now? You realize that you're a sinner. You realize that your life is broken in various ways. You just want to, in your own heart of hearts right now, say, Jesus, I accept you. I accept you. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your cleansing. I accept your life. Would you save me, Lord, right now? Friend, if you prayed that prayer, I just want to say God specializes in brokenness. And he can take the bleakest situation and turn it around for his glory and for your good. Father, I pray for all of those who've opened their lives to you. Thank you that you are the gift Jesus, 
we praise you and we thank you. And with Jordan, we lift up our song. We lift up our praise and our thanks on this Christmas. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.